And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Ali Matu here, and I am experiencing some tech problems between me and Dr. Trek, uh, Larry Nemechek, my co-host on the show. So here's what we're doing. Um, we're just going to get started because we have a very special episode planned for you all um, here on Life Support Live. Uh, this is the Star Trek show that celebrates um, how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives. And if Dr. Trek were here, he would say, and as one famous Starship captain said, also have a little bit fun on the way. So, um, hi to everyone here. Um, if let me let me catch you up to speed on what we have had planned for you, and also all the lovely tech issues that have gone into the Fourth of July here. So, um, uh, Larry and I spent a lot of time this week thinking about what's the best way that we can celebrate the 4th of July here with you. For those of you who are in the United States of America. You'll obviously recognize that today is the 4th of July. This is the day that we uh, commemorate the um, independence of the United States of America, the day uh, that the uh, Declaration of Independence was uh, officially ratified and the United, the colonies of the Americas declared independence from, um, from England. Um, I know that we have a lot of people watching from around the world and aren't in the United States. So Larry and I wanted to do something that both spoke to independence in the United States, but also was something that this show does, life support it being this show, but also Star Trek, um, something that helps us to better understand this time and era that we're going through using Star Trek, gives us a little bit of tools to support us, to help us, and also just kind of have fun and uh, do something that's... Um, that's just a lot of fun with you all. Sometimes we talk about more difficult topics. Sometimes we talk about more fun topics. And uh, this week, we just wanted to do something that's completely fun. And then we got this idea of Star Trek Insurrection. Um, yes, it is not the best Star Trek Next Generation movie, but... It is a fun one to watch together with your friends. So right now, while I keep yimmer yapping here with you all, if you don't already have a copy of Star Trek Insurrection queued up, go get your DVD. 
go get your Blu-ray. Um, there also are a number of places where you can watch Star Trek Insurrection online. Um, it we, At the beginning of this week, it was on Hulu and Amazon Prime. It has since been removed from Hulu and Amazon Prime in the United States. But there is, um, in the United States, there's a place where you can actually watch it completely for free and legally. Um, if you go to uh, TUB... I TV, that's to be TV, T U B I TV dot com, and you just look up Star Trek Insurrection. Actually, it's Star Trek IX, Star Trek Roman numeral nine Insurrection. That will uh, bring up the movie for you, and you'll be able to watch it completely for free. Um, we think it is uh, ad-supported, but we're unsure if uh, if you'll see ads for the film or not. When I was scanning it beforehand, I didn't really get any fil- um, any ads right over there. Um, Tim from the UK here, 4th of July, is just another day on our shores. Um Wow, my Siri went off for some reason. Yeah, yeah, so tech today has been quite a challenge. Uh, so, Tim, I was going to say, um, 4th of July in uh, the United Kingdom must be an interesting place for an American to be today. So, um, grab your copy of Star Trek Insurrection, get it queued up, and l- let me walk you through a few things. Um, tech this week has just been a complete nightmare. Not only have I had a hard time bringing Larry in, and Larry's working that on that on his end, um, but my router stopped working uh, late yesterday at a time when we're it's hard to come by uh, a new replacement very quickly. And then I got the replacement, and it wasn't connecting to my internet. Um, and it, it was just, it was just a mess. But I got it working late last night. Things sort of, uh, sort of came together, and now I can't get Larry in here. So, <sighs> we're doing our best, folks. Um, but let me, let me tell you why we picked Star Trek Insurrection. While you're um, grabbing your copies of, um, of the movie, um, why, Tim says, why not put on the DVD or Blu-ray of the movie? Yeah. So I would love to turn my camera around or bring in a feed of the movie here that would completely get us in trouble with copyright um we can't show any part of the movie we can't have you hear any part of the movie but what we can do is watch it together so once we have it queued up what i'm going to do is i'll do a countdown and we'll all hit play together and whether you are watching the dvd or blu-ray or you're watching it on a streaming platform, or you bought it on iTunes, on Amazon, or you're watching it for free on something like um, TubiTV.com. Um, not that I'm... They're not sponsoring this episode. It's just the only way I could find to freely watch this if you um, if you don't have anything else. Um, once, once I hit play, we should all be in sync. We should be able to watch this together. So, uh, great question for that, Tim. I wish I could just show it to you right here. Um, that's not the way the stuff works. Um, all right. Um, Dan, hopefully Larry is going to be joining. Um, he's working on some tech stuff on his end. The show must go on. Uh, I really hope Larry does join because, um, I've got, I got mental health stuff ready to go to talk about this, this week, but I don't have, uh, all the insider Trekland stuff. Um, that's Larry's department, but, um, hopefully he will be joining, um, 
if not we're all going to watch star trek insurrection together and we're going to have a, a good time um all right folks so why why star trek insurrection um well insurrection is in the title rebellion is a theme of the fourth of july um it is also a story that speaks to um some of the not so pleasant aspects of the the founding of the United States of America. Um, Star, Trek, Star Trek Insurrection explores themes of uh, a forced relocation of a people. And the United States of America uh, was founded uh, and really destroyed a group of people, not only through forced relocation and things like the Trail of Tears that happened much later in the United States history, but through the destruction of um, the native people of the United States, American Indians. And uh, we wanted to talk about that. We wanted to explore that. And we t- wanted to talk about how insurrection, the, the idea of insurrection, of protesting what you find to be wrong really speaks to 2020 and what is going on in the world right now, especially with with what's going on in America and um, how we define freedom, independence, liberty, and all that sort of stuff. So that's why Star Trek Insurrection. Um, hope you all um, uh, agree with us. We we talked about doing the Omega Glory. Uh, and then we quickly said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. It's, um, it's not really that great of an episode. And while Insurrection definitely, uh, people have mixed feelings about it. It's pretty short. It's pretty watchable and it's got, it's got some fun moments in there. So, um, as, uh, Tim says here, uh, Insurrection is an underrated Star Trek movie. Not the best, but definitely has plenty of Trek values and messages in it. I 100% agree with you there. Um, and, uh, Dan is bringing up how is Independence Day connected to the War of Independence, if at all. Sorry, it's, if it's a crappy question. There are no crappy questions here. Have you watched the show, Dan? We uh, we like to explore and discuss all things here on Life Support Live. Uh, I used to host a podcast a very long time ago called Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, and for our independent for our July Fourth episode there, we talked about Independence Day, and we did kind of a, a similar fun watch uh, with that. So if you're interested in Independence Day, go look up uh, Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, and you will find uh, my commentary on that one. All right, folks. I hope you have Insurrection queued up. If you don't, this is the time to pause this video and you can come back and we'll all be in sync. If you don't have Insurrection queued up, but you still want to participate and have some fun, that's awesome. I will be describing the moments and what's happening here. We're going to uh, have comments here. We're going to be watching this together. This is a just a fun watch party. Hopefully, we'll all get some stuff that helps us uh, to deal with this current situation. But if you don't have a copy, that's okay, too. Stick around. You're going to have a ton of fun. And if you're only here for Larry, well, I hope he'll be here soon. <laughs> um, but if not, I totally understand if you're if you're more on uh, Team Dr. Trek than uh, Team Dr. Matu. That's totally cool. But we'll, I, I promise you, um, we'll still have some fun um, all here together. All right. So um, with that, cue it up. 
Let's get, uh, let's turn on your view screens. Um, get plugged into your captain's chair. Get nice and comfortable. I'm going to do a countdown here. We're going to count down from five and then, um, I'm going to say punch it. And after punch it, that's when I want you to engage to press that, uh, play button. All right, folks. Five, four, three, two, one. Punch it. Here we go. Star Trek Insurrections uh, is uh, is underway. You might notice I've got I've got a wild setup here, folks. As a Paramount uh, logo um, scrolls, I've got I've got like two separate computers. One computer here uh, for the live streaming because this takes a lot of processing power. I've got another computer here just for Insurrection queued up. I've got two headphones, one for you all, and then uh, and for Larry, and then one for um, one just for Insurrection. So this is kind of a wild, weird experience. Um, punch it is Star Wars. Tim P- um, Christopher Pike also says punch it in. Um, in Star Trek, so I, I, I've always liked that. Um, all right, folks, Star Trek Insurrection. I always thought this title sequence was uh, a little cheap after we had that beautiful assimilating Star Trek first contact title sequence in the previous movie. Um, but very, I was very happy to see Jonathan Frakes um, continuing to uh, to direct another Star Trek film. Oh, I'm really missing Larry right now. This would be the time where he would have some anecdote about what was originally planned here and what actually happened. Actually, in the pre-show, Larry was telling me about how um, the original pitch, I think Michael Pillar had an original concept for this film that was more, um, much more about the Romulans as a villain and much more of a, of a heart of darkness type of story. And, uh, Patrick Stewart really didn't want that direction. At this point, he had some script approval, story approval, and, um, didn't want to do a Romulan storyline. And so they completely changed it. They had to, at the last minute, not so much at the last minute, but farther along into the process than they would have liked, had to create the storyline of the Sona and the Baku. And um, what's so funny about that is while we lost the Romulans here, Star Trek Nemesis was all about the Romulans, and it was very much a Picard storyline. Uh, Star Trek 2009, very much about the Romulans and uh, the consequences of uh, reunification and Spock and all of that stuff, which was also connected to uh, Picard. And then Star Trek Picard is very much about the Romulans. So Patrick Stewart didn't really want to um, have the uh, Romulans here, and then we have now a whole new era of Star Trek that is defined by the Romulans. So that, that's my Dr. Trek Larry Nemechek story um, of the show. Uh, so no sync time on screen. Um, I couldn't, couldn't make that happen, but we are about three minutes in to uh, the movie right now. We have data here. Um, we're about to see data. We see this the Starfleet officers observing what's going on on this planet. (sighs) 
Tim mentioning Captain Pike was actually the first captain to say engage in the cage before Picard. Yeah, that's a good point, Tim. Very good point. Maybe I should have gone with engage. Um, I, yeah. Uh, also, uh, Tim mentioning the Jerry Goldson score. I, I love, um, the scores to First Contact, Insurrection, as well as Nemesis. Um, I think Jerry Goldsmith does an amazing job with, with each of those. Dan's mentioning reminds me of who watches the watchers. Yeah, very much so. Something I really appreciate about insurrection is how much it goes into a very different direction than Star Trek first contact. Whereas first contact was really expanding on a villain from the TV show insurrection gives us a lot of new exploration, new species, um, the briar patch, a new area of space we hadn't seen before. Um, it, it definitely goes in some different directions, which was pretty refreshing. Um, when you watch the movies, Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis, they're all very different from one another, which is, uh, which is, which is nice. It's very different than the original series, um, uh, films that, uh, form that accidental trilogy of Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and The Voyage Home. That would be really freaky, right? Seeing an android, um, just the android head floating about. Yeah, so the the one downside here of the Next Generation movies is it really does become the Picard data show, which the TV show never really was um we always had a strong logos pathos ethos um relationship with the original series with bone spock and uh kirk but that that uh that trio didn't really exist in next generation um and they seem to have the writers, producers seem to have focused much more on Picard and Data in the movies. And I don't know, um, a little bit of a bummer there that the rest of the characters don't get as much time to shine in the films. This very much feels... So one of the things about Star Trek Insurrection is it, it often gets discredited as being like a very good episode of Star Trek Next Generation. And this part right here feels very much like a teaser. Like we could fade to black right now and have the Star Trek Next Generation intro sequence. Um, but I think there's some some beautiful themes here, some beautiful moments. So Daniel's got a great point here. Would the invisibility suits count as cloaking tech? What do you all think? Let me know in the comments below. I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I I don't know. So the Treaty of Algeron 
does bar the Federation from developing cloaking technology. So I think it def- depends on what our definition of cloaking technology is. Um, is Does cloaking technology refer to ships or is it broad any aspect of, of technology? Um, and given that the Federation is partnering with the Sona here, what if that cloaking technology is actually... Sona technology and not the Federation. Would that be a little bit of a loophole? Wonderful line there. Does anyone remember when we used to be explorers? Mention of the Dominion. Yeah, Dan. That's that's one of my favorite things here about Star Trek Insurrection is this... This movie really came out at um, the height of Star Trek's popularity in the 1990s, and we had we had Deep Space Nine firing on all cylinders. We had Voyager. Uh, we had Star Trek: The Experience. Um, the The motion picture crew, or not motion picture, the Next Generation crew was super popular. Um, I love this moment where they're like, Worf, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, well, I was doing this. And they're like, "Uh, whatever, whatever. Join our mission. Let's go along our way. Let's have some fun. I love that the writers don't take that too seriously. They know we just want Worf on this voyage with us. Um, And uh, they don't really care why. So one of the things I, I really like here about Insurrection is we're seeing diplomacy take place. We're seeing Picard doing something that he does so well, completely um, uh, focused on developing these relationships, understanding alien cultures. We see Troy um, helping him um, to understand some of the nuances of culture here. There's some such fantastic Star Trek Next Generation moments like that, where we see that dynamic between. <laughs> I love how Jordy reacts to seeing the um, seeing Picard like that. Um, it's it's so wonderful to see that thread from the Next Generation continue here into the films. Uh, to see Picard as a diplomat, that's something that. Um, we don't really see in the other films. And this is where Star Trek Insurrection does so much great character development and um, paying off on themes from the TV show, whether it's Picard as a diplomat, um, whether it is uh, Troy and Riker's relationship. Um, there's just a lot of really wonderful moments that, that some of the characters get here. Rebecca saying, oh, no, did I miss Beverly mocking Picard? That's another really lovely moment here. I think um, Larry would have probably more to say about uh, the Beverly-Picard relationship. But I I love seeing how how playful they can be with each other. This is a crew that has served together for a long time this is not they're not on a shakedown cruise they've they're comfortable with each other they know each other they can call out each other they can serve with each other there's no um it's not a stuffy relationship it's not a formal relationship they can be professional when needed but they can also let their down their guard when needed 
uh, I think Dan said I, I love the des- um, the concept designs for the costumes in this film, and I, I completely agree with you, Dan. Um, so wonderful to see the dress uniforms here, um, and I, I I love how um, completely different they are from the dress uniforms we see in Next Generation. Um, it was wonderful to see the new first contact uniforms, um, and uh, they just worked so much better um, in a cinematic display to see these white ones contrast against those gray ones it's it's really quite beautiful the um speaking of that so we're getting our first real view of the sona here and f murray abraham's character gosh f murray abraham in a star trek movie how amazing is this film and how um how underrated is it that the the quality of um of actors that Star Trek gets to play the villains we have um F Murray Abraham here we have um Christopher Plummer in Star Trek 6 uh we get such wonderful amazing um actors playing uh pairing these deliciously evil roles here um we we're also getting our first look at a admiral's uniform in this um, motion picture. I keep saying motion picture, but the next generation film era. Um, it's got that belt. It's got a few other lovely little details. Does anyone else get uh, a Kazon Ogla vibe from from the Sona? Um, I feel like they're, they're a little too Kazon for me. Um, Tim saying he killed Amadeus. Yeah. Um, Rebecca's ask, Rebecca's asking for the timestamp. Rebecca, we're at about 1320, 13 minutes and about 25 seconds right now. Uh, data has started firing on a ship. Um, the Enterprise is going to intercept. And um, they're tr- they're briefing Picard right now on this duck blind mission and and what uh, what's been going on here. Thanks, Heather, for filling in, uh, Rebecca, about the uh, timestamp. Rebecca, I'm happy to ask Larry more about hashtag Picard needs Bev. Really hoping we get to see that play out in Star Trek Picard. So this is something that um, I'm obviously... Well, let me take a moment here and just gush about how um, how beautiful it is to see these effects. This is uh, the first time we have a Star Trek film that is... Uh, I'll, I'll, I can play the hat of... Uh, or I can put on the hat of, of Dr. Trek here a little bit. This is the first time we see a... Um, a Star Trek film where the ships are largely computer generated. Uh, there were some computer generated scenes in Star Trek First Contact, but they built out a model for that as well. Um, ILM built out a model. And here, these are all CG, really. Um, our first little bits of a Troy Riker um, rekindling of, of the romance here. And as... Um, when I first saw that back in, I think this was 1997, 98, when I first saw that, it was um, so wonderful to see these. <laughs> 
we got a Deep Space Nine, another Deep Space Nine mention here. Um, this wonderful moment here between Picard and, and Worf. Um, it also speaks to how much these characters just love and care for each other. Um, we're seeing a lot. This is a little bonk bonk on the head um, with the writers showing us how much all of these characters are being uh, rejuvenated in some way. Picard's hearing Worf oversleeping, Troy and Riker's uh, romance here. Um, but I love it. I love it. It's just so much fun. So much fun to see that. Catching up in the comments. I love, um, I'm loving the comments going on here, folks. Yeah, uh, Tim and Dan, uh, totally CGI Enterprise and uh, Sky Blue uh, VIFX doing the CG here. Glenn mentioning hashtag Bev needs Ronan. Um, so we're. <laughs> Picard saying, um, if they aren't able to rescue him or stop this, I will be the one to terminate him. That now reverberates very differently knowing what happens in Star Trek Nemesis, knowing what happens in Star Trek Picard. Uh, we were just criticizing how much these films are biased towards Data and Picard, but um, seeing the narrative play out in Star Trek Nemesis with Data ultimately sacrificing himself to save Picard and then getting the rationale for why in Star Trek Picard, um, it almost makes this bias towards those characters in these films worth it. Or at least there is there's a strong payoff to that. Oh, folks, I really want to sing what's about to happen next, but it's, it's hard to do that without my partner in crime here, uh, Dr. Trek. Yeah, Tim, I totally agree. This is a lot of fun with the comments. Uh, what a what a great way to spend a Saturday morning. Um, I agree, Linda. Linda saying Frakes' is acting is so much better when he directs himself. I, I completely agree. Um, I also think um, the rest of the cast is just more comfortable with with each other when Frakes is directing and... I felt that way with his episodes of Star Trek Discovery as well, um, and Star Trek Picard. Um, things just feel a lot, a lot more comfortable and casual when when Frakes is uh, at the helm. So, I, I, it's a little curious that Picard is piloting the shuttle, but I, I think. What do you all think? Why why is he piloting the shuttle? Why Picard? He's he's always been a good pilot. We see that in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, you all probably know the episode name, but Picard has to pilot the Enterprise around a big old asteroid. We know Picard's a good pilot, but um, is, he, is he piloting because of Data? Because of his relationship with Data? Because he wants to be the one who would um, would destroy him if, if needed? I don't know. What do you all think? 
Rose says, I don't have a timestamp. Rose, we are at about 19 minutes and about 15 seconds here. Gilbert and Sullivan. I have not had a chance to be on your group. This is so funny. This movie is so, so much fun. HMS metaphor. <laughs> of course, Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore. Warp's <laughs> reaction right here. Sig Warp no. no, no. <laughs> Heart should glow. Knock down blow. I love that Warp is like totally down for it. This speaks to some of the evolution we've seen in Warp. We talked about this in last week's episode that Warp has very fixed ideas when you first see him about being a Klingon and being a Starfleet officer. But because of a lot of his experiences, he becomes more flexible in his thinking. He gets a little bit more distance from those rigid definitions. And we're seeing that play out here. It's kind of nice to see Data short circuit in this way. Uh, it's just nice to see that this android is vulnerable to similar weird things that happen in programming much like us humans that we can we can fall into these weird traps and and so can data it's it's kind of like an earworm right so sometimes we all hear a song and we have a hard time getting it out of our head it's it's nice to see that that could happen to data as well um by the way if that ever does happen to you if you ever get a song stuck in your head try listening to it over and over again, like actually playing it. Um, some theories say that your your mind is trying to recall all the details of that memory, but it's having a hard time to. So if you play it out, it might sort of complete that loop that your mind wants to wants to do. Space karaoke, Linda. You know, I would always be down for that. Um, Tim says a British tar. You know. Tim, when I first heard this with Worf there too, I thought it was a British Targ. I thought they were doing some like fun wordplay there. Um, you know, I, I don't know about all of you, but when I saw this in the theater, um, there was a lot of laughter with all of these lines, like where, where Worf deactivates data right over there. Um, this movie was just a lot of fun. The problem, though, that I had with this film, the way it was marketed was much more like an action adventure. And the action here is really not that great. Um, the They don't have a ton of money for a lot of the uh, planet-based action sequences when they actually engage in the insurrection. It doesn't look that great. Um, <laughs> I'd love... I love that this is how they've they're being held um, prisoner. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the film was really marketed in a way 
where it emphasized the action adventure and the action adventure is not what makes this movie great that's like marketing the voyage home with just all the bird of prey action sequences there's not a lot of them they're not that great the voyage home is a fun movie about this crew that has some some basic and important ideas about environmentalism, about how um, these species that we might not think about could be really the key to our survival on this planet. Insurrection is very much the same way, where this is not an action-adventure movie. This is a film about some basic ideas that really are true to Star Trek values. And it's an excuse for us to watch these characters that we love um, have a lot of fun with each other. That's, that's what I love about this movie. Daniel, I definitely agree with you. This is the most like a TNG episode of all the movies. And I mean that completely as a compliment to to this film. Um, I I also think this is one of the most watchable Star Trek movies. This is one of the reasons why we picked it. We can all watch this together. It's not that long. Um, You don't need to be completely present to appreciate it but you can also watch this at night um you can have it in the background or you can completely focus on it 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 can be just um there's so many ways to enjoy this movie um it's it's super super watchable Rebecca sake, pretty sure if I was an out of control Android, you could break me with show tunes. Uh, Rebecca, let me know if you've um, seen Hamilton on Disney Plus yet. Um, I wish we could just spend two hours talking about that as well or like doing a watch party for that. I just watched that with my family last night um, and it was is absolutely wonderful. Glenn saying, I'm just catching up on the comments here. Glenn saying, Brent seems to be doing his Picard impression as he's singing. Brent Spider loves doing impressions, and he does a fantastic Patrick Stewart impression. If you haven't seen it, uh, YouTube it, and it's, uh, it's a ton of fun. So if if Larry was here, um, he would definitely mention the Badmirals, uh, the Badmiralty. And I'm going to say here that this is, um, I'm going to weave in a little bit of psychology here, but also, um, before I get to that, just talk about how, how annoying it is to have so many of the villains in Star Trek stories be these bad admirals that somehow once you become an admiral, your, your motivations change. We see that in, um, in a few different episodes of Star Trek, but we also see that in, uh, Star Trek six. Um, love this mo. I love all the Rocker, Riker Troy, Troy scenes here. They're so, as a fan, you're just so happy. <laughs> it's this, this is super adorable. This is one of the several therapeutic postures I, I love. I love this scene. It's, they're so cute together. I just, I just love it. But anyways, I was I was about to say something that was like not serious, but more more in line with what a psychologist should be saying on Life Support Live. So it does frustrate me that the admirals are so um so often bad. Um and hence Larry's term of the badmirals. Uh what what I do 
think is is um, is true about that, and we're going to see this as the movie goes on, is um, the further away you are from a group of people or a community, both physically but also psychologically, the more distance you have, the easier it becomes to, best case scenario, ignore bad things that might be happening. Worst case scenario, make decisions that could really harm people, hurt them. Um, and in the case of Star Trek Insurrection, of, um, of forced relocation to dis- that might destroy a-, a culture, a community, a civilization. It's much easier to rationalize and justify those things when there is physical or psychological distance. And I think that's the real criticism here of the Admiralty, that they are these stereotypical uh, paper pushers, though there's no paper in the 21st century. They're more pad pushers, I guess, um, living on Earth who are really disconnected with, with what's happening in the front lines. We don't really see that with the original series because they don't have the type of subspace transmission we see in the next generation. They aren't easily able to be in contact with Earth. Kirk has to figure out things himself, and Kirk is often struggling with those decisions, which is why he's so reliant on his, see what I did there? Reliant, oh, Lovely. I love that throwback. They had to just start singing again. But um, this is this is one of the reasons we see Kirk struggle so much is he doesn't have the admirals to to go off of. He has to figure it out with his own crew. But with the next generation era and subspace transmission technology, being able to have easy contact with Earth, we see this conflict with um, this. I don't want to say ruling class, but in this peacekeeping. Federation Starfleet Armada in the structure of uh, of the of Starfleet the the class of people who give orders to Picard don't really know and other captains they don't really know the issues as well as he do, does they're not on the front lines so it's easier to have that distance and make decisions that might not be in the best interest of those people If anyone here has taken, um, I'm going to get back to the comments section in, in, in just a moment. But if anyone here has taken an introductory psychology class, names like Stanley Milgram and the obedience to authority study are probably familiar. Gosh, I love another Troy Riker scene. He's shaving his beard. Oh my gosh, he's shaving his beard. <laughs> I I love these two. I love them here. I love their wedding scene in Nemesis. I love, um, I love, uh, the, their scene in Star Trek Picard. Um, speaking of the Badmirals, there he is. Does, does his belt have a Federation logo on it? If so, that is awesome. And I want one of those. I want that Federation belt. Um, this is really icky. This, like, toxin stuff and i'm going to get into the body image stuff here in, in just a moment because i think there's a really great commentary here on on what was happening in the 90s so i'm going to put a pin in that right right over there and i'm going to come back to that but if anyone here is taking in introductory psychology names like stanley milgram and the obedience to the authority uh study probably are familiar and 
one of the things about that study that people remember is these participants thought that they might be shocking a person in another room. They actually weren't shocking the person, but they were made to believe it. And the study, Stanley Milgram was um, was doing the study to prove, well, his theory was that Germans were inherently more likely to obey authority. And he was doing phase one in America, and he was going to do phase two in Germany. And it was a way of trying to understand what happened in World War II. Well, he never did the second phase in Germany because he was so shocked, no pun intended there, well, a little pun intended, tiny one. Uh, he was so shocked by the results because the majority of people were willing to shock someone else at a point that um, was was very dangerous. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head or the number, but I think it was around somewhere between 60 to 75% of people were just willing to comply with authority. Now, what often gets left out of understanding the Stanley Milgram um, obedience to authority study is what about that other percentage, the percentage that didn't go that far? These are our heroes. These are the people that insurrect. These are the people that rebel against authority and say, no, there's something wrong here. I'm not going to comply. And more recent research has has looked at what are the factors that make someone speak up why are some people whistleblowers? Why do some people see a wrong happening and they do something about it? And one of the things that seems to be tr very important there is having um, physical connection, being closer to other people, or psychological connection, compassion, understanding. There's variations of the Milgram study where he had people closer to the quote-unquote victim. And the closer you are, the more connected you see to what's actually happening, the more likely you are to speak up. So that's that's a, a, one piece of Star Trek Insurrection that I love is Picard and crew are seeing the real world impact of all of this in a way that Dougherty and the Admiralty are not. They want to keep that that distance here. Picard really sees what's happening. And so that's one of the things that can help all of us who might be wanting to speak up against some kind of injustice is the more connected and the closer we are to the injustice, the more likely we are to do something about it. The other thing that we're going to see play out here with Star Trek Insurrection is, um, and, and this is something that research on heroism, on everyday heroism, why do some people speak up when others don't? Why why did some people speak up about the atrocities happening at the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq? Why do some people, or why are some people whistleblowers about um, the real research the tobacco industry had on lung cancer and all of that sort of stuff? These everyday heroes that speak up, um, once one person speaks up, it makes it easier for other people to speak up. So that's something else for us to remember is the power of one. If you are one person who doesn't feel good about something, if you find the courage to speak up about it, it's going to make it easier for the next five to, which will make it easier for the next 50 to and the next 100 to. Um, 
Okay, so many good comments. I'm going to catch up on what's been going on here in the comments section. For those of you watching and joining us, we are at about uh, minute 35 into Star Trek Insurrection. Picard has just discovered the hollow ship, and they're beginning to wonder why would someone create a uh, holographic uh, recreation of the village here. Here's some of that really not-so-great action sequences that Star Trek was known for prior to the Kelvin timeline and J.J. Abrams films. Look at that. Look at that drop, folks. It is so... <laughs> so ridiculous here. Um, speaking of ridiculous, um, here comes the infamous data flotation device scene. This This scene I really... Or this this beat I really don't like. Um, this takes me very much out of the 24th century. I don't see data as saying I can be used as a flotation device because that's such that's such a 20th century. In the event of a water landing, I've been designed to use, be used as a flotation device. That's that's something we say all the time in the 20th century. Well, not all the time, but whenever you fly. Um, and in the 20th century and 21st century, I see no reason for data to have any any type of reference to that. Klingon zit, that on the other hand, super funny. I love that. It's hardly noticeable. It's so big. It's a, it's a data getting that second peak. So that's great. Okay. I want to catch up on the comments section here. Uh, you all have been um, super awesome here. Um, all right. Uh, do, 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 do. Smooth as an Android's bottom. Love it. Uh, all right. Um, Heather also mentioning Hamilton. Um, hope you did not throw away your shot, Heather. Very much a bad rule. Uh, Jana saying, I'm a big fan of Brent Spiner. He's very trustworthy. I met him a few times in real life. Um, he cares about his fans a lot, like Patrick Stewart. Yeah, um, Brent Spiner is hilarious. I, um, uh, I saw him shortly after Nemesis came out, and he said, yeah, there was many different scripts to Nemesis. There's one that uh, we all like that the producers uh, didn't like. Then there was a version that the producers liked that uh, the cast didn't like. And then there was a version that the producers didn't like and the cast didn't like. And that was the one we decided to make. I just cracked up so much. Um, one of the most gifable Patrick Stewart uh, scenes right here. Uh, Patrick Stewart dancing. Uh, I love that moment. Um, the characters are now beginning to realize that um, there is some type of fountain of youth here that um, this is why the Federation might be so interested in uh, in this planet. Did Badmiral Dowerty secretly work for Section 31? Tim, that is a great question. <sighs> Possibly. I don't think Section 31 
had been written in yet at this point. Or correct me if I'm wrong um, in the comment section. Maybe it had been um, created at this point. Um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine was beginning to approach its last couple of seasons, if I remember correctly. Um, so maybe it had. Uh, I don't know. I think he's if he works for Section 31... He's a pretty bad Section 31 officer, Tim. Um, he's he's really not that effective as a, as a um, as a as a bad mural. Yeah, Rebecca saying I think the next generation cast uh, uh, deeply cares about uh, their fans. Um, I would say very much so in, in the interactions I've had. I've had a, a wonderful experience with uh, with the cast. Glenn, you got an ad. Um, sorry to hear that. Um, hopefully you're watching the free version so you don't, you know, have to pay for it. Uh, sorry that you're getting that ad. Dan has an interesting comment here. The Baku remind me of some of the religious groups uh, in real life who reject technology. Um, it It is interesting that, you know, the, the Baku seem to both reject technology while also still having all of that knowledge and seeing Star Trek Insurrection, um, Dan, you just gave me an idea here. Star Trek Insurrection now, from a 2020 perspective, also seems to be a bit of a criticism related to uh, these things. Our smartphones are always on, always connected lifestyle of social media. Um, and it, it seems to say, especially here um, between... Um, between these characters, um, uh, Picard seems to be learning the importance of slowing down. Um, something we we talk about in uh, mental health as a concept of mindfulness, as being very present in the moment and being present with what's happening around you, what's happening inside of you, and um, being okay with that moment, not trying to change it, not struggling with it, but um, allowing it to be what it is. Um, one of the things we find in, in mental health is uh, a common problem is when people are really trying to um, extremely change the way they feel, extremely change the way they're thinking. It's very hard, if not impossible, to do that. And mindfulness is more of a tool to change your relationship with what's happening inside you and around you and helping you to understand that this moment, it's, it's just another moment. This feeling is just another feeling. This thought is just another thought. And it will, um, it will change in time. Star Trek Insurrection sort of celebrates that idea that technology can take you away from the present moment. And here is a, uh, a species that has developed warp technology, has also um, one of these secrets that allow them to live longer. And with that gift, they decide to just kind of focus on improving themselves and, and developing their craft and, um, and really embracing these present moments. So I think that's, that's not something I had really prepped out for the show, but I think that's another wonderful 
beautiful theme that we never see in um in star trek well maybe in the original series we have these episodes where maybe there's some species that have sort of rejected technology but i i love this this conflict that picard goes through in this um in this episode not just about starfleet and what starfleet means to him but also about technology and about slowing down um I think that's that's a wonderful thing we can take from this. Linda says uh, Michael Dorn is more reserved with the fans, but I think he's a little shy. Um, I um, I've had a couple interactions with uh, with Michael Dorn, and I definitely agree that he's um, a bit more reserved. Um, but he's he's so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I'm so glad we get to see him do more, um, more comedy, more comedic moments here, but also in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine because I think he's he's such a um, charismatic actor, and in Next Generation as Worf, we we didn't get to see as much of that. Tim asks, were Frakes and uh, Marina nude in that bubbly bath? I doubt it. I doubt it, although I don't know. I wonder if Dr. Trek would know the answer to that. Um, Rebecca says, dare you ask Marina? Um, I'm sure the answer is probably out there somewhere on the internet. Yeah, Linda, wouldn't it take weeks to dry out data servos? Maybe... Oh, this is a this is wonderful, too, just to see... Um, it's just nice to see... Jordy um appreciating a sunset um it gets back to that idea of of mindfulness and to to notice uh what's actually happening around you to fully embrace it um mindfulness isn't about feeling better it's about feeling more and i think I think Jordy having this different um, ability to see here, at least temporarily, um, it, it he's able to appreciate this moment in in a way that he hasn't before. And we we all go through that. We all go through these moments where um, we might be more mindful of what's happening. It's very easy to do when you travel and when you're in a new place. For the first time, you have um, uh, a much greater uh, awareness of what's happening around you. It's a lot harder to do right now, if especially if you're stuck at home, you're sheltering in place, uh, you're not outside, you don't experience a lot of new things. Life starts to sort of blend together. If you're in that kind of situation, which I am, what becomes really important is two things. Number one. Can you find ways to, oh, wow, the uh, um, the F. Maria Abraham, no, no, and blood coming out. That is a really icky, icky kind of moment right over there. Um, so <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, mindfulness. So if you're kind of stuck in this situation and you want to experience a little bit of what Jordy was going through right there, um, what you can do is uh there's i have a video about like uh, i think it's called um 10 everyday mindfulness activities but um 
try to increase your awareness in some very uh, sensory heavy activities that you might be going through. Um, taking a shower mindfully is a phenomenal experience when you're really trying to focus on the feeling of water, of what happens, of all the droplets hitting your body, hitting your hair. It's, it's a really cool, interesting experience. Food is another great Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment because we're about to see an awesome Picard scene. I love I love Picard talking about values and reflecting them back to Starfleet characters like First Duty and him reflecting back to Wesley Crusher. That's what we're about to see here, but he's about to do it to an admiral. Partners are nothing more than thugs. Tim, you've got a great comment here about whistleblowers and people like Ed, Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. I think that's a really great debate about heroes versus villains. Why do some people see one as one or another? But I, um, I think whistleblowers should be largely celebrated and protected in this country. Um, and there's a lot of great history of whistleblowers exposing horrors that we might not have ever known, just like Picard is about to do here. Jared, good to have you here. Uh, I know you're late to the party. Um, Larry is not kidnapped. He's not getting a Sona facelift. Um, he's experiencing some tech problems, some kind of flying solo today. Dan mentioning the Voyager transporter room. Is that so? Did they just recycle the Voyager transporter room here? How many people does it take before it becomes wrong? Love that line. I love that line. So there's a lot of great stuff happening here. So from a Star Trek canon perspective, this is a throwback to um, Measure of a Man. And where Guinan reflects back to Picard that, oh, you can make an army of datas? Wow. Where have I, where have I heard that before? And she sort of reflects back to him. This is slavery, and it it whips Picard into understanding this current event in the context of history on Earth and some of the the worst history that has happened on our planet. We just saw something similar happen here, where Picard 
is is seeing what's about to happen here. Oh, just relocate these people. The medicine, the technologies will develop here. They're going to save millions of lives. And Picard's saying, no, I've heard this story before. You remove these people. You destroy this culture. We take advantage of their resources. That has only led to destructive ends. And this is one of the things we wanted, Larry and I wanted to talk about is the founding of the United States of America is also related, and the founding of the colonies here before that is also related to the destruction of the American Indian population, of the native people who lived in North America. Um, You can't separate those things. A lot of people talk about the original sin of um, the United States being slavery. If you go before that, it's the destruction of a civilization, of many civilizations. Um, that This is Star Trek as social justice. This is Star Trek saying, this is the line, we must never cross it, this is wrong. And, there's an, and some people might say that's, you know, bonk, bonk on the head. Yeah, sometimes we need bonk, bonk on the head, and we need Star Trek to reflect back to us, this is wrong. The line must this uh, the uh, the line must be drawn here this far no farther. Um, so, I love I love that about Star Trek Insurrection right here. Okay, we are at um, fifty two minutes over here into this movie. Picard has put down his uh, his rank, um, and this is folks. This is. This is foreshadowing Star Trek Picard as well. And there he, uh, he puts back on his insignia. But this is something Star Trek, um, really celebrates with Jean-Luc Picard. This is a man of deep morals, of, of deep values, of, with a very strong moral compass of what's right and what's wrong. Are we surprised that in Star Trek Picard, he resigned because of what happened with uh, with the Romulans, because of the, the actions the Federation was willing to take to just let the Romulan refugees just die out? No, we see that here with Jean-Luc in Insurrection. I'm calling him Jean-Luc now because he's technically not captain, I guess, because he's wearing that cool 90s leather jacket. Um, here's the key difference, though, and this gets to my, um, counselor's log slash away mission of today's episode, is we see here as, as he's getting into the captain's yacht, as he's about to go down to the planet, um, he has the support of his, of his crew. Um, they are coming to his aid. Not only are some of them going down to the planet with him, but um, the rest are going to... I, Folks, my daughter woke up early. I need more. I've, I got some strong Ractagino in here. I need to refuel. Um, not only are some people going down to the planet with him, but the crew is going to support him. And so this is this is the thing that I was getting at is it is incredibly important when you are fighting for a cause that you believe in um, the power of one one person standing up makes it easier for others around you to do the exact same. We see that with Jean-Luc Picard. He stands up um, and because of that. 
more people are able to as well and they're going to they're going to really stop this stop this injunction injunction <laughs> um injustice from happening um we also see the importance of allies and of community so in every great social movement it's not one person who has really made that difference here. If you look at the uh, founding of the United States of America, it's really about the colonies realizing that they have this shared goal, that whether you're New York or Massachusetts or Virginia, that um, this foreign power, I'm sorry to our our British uh, watchers over here, this foreign power, um, their actions are not in the best interest of us, that they are dehumanizing us, that they are taxation without representation, that we have no representation in this foreign government. Um, and um, we have to we have to rebel. It's not in our best interest anymore. In psychology, that's something called a superordinate goal, something a goal that one group of people can't achieve by themselves that lots of different people need to come together to achieve that goal. Um, every great social movement in our history, it's a story of different people coming together and working together over a long, sustained period of time to create change. Uh, the Million Man March and Martin Luther King King's march onto Washington, D.C., it was done in an era without social media. All the infrastructure to get people coordinated and come together for this happened over the course of many, many years and lots of different communities, lots of coalitions coming together to support that cause. Um, we see that with the founding of the, um, of the United States. We see that in all the great social movements. We see that right now with, um, with everything that's happening with Black Lives Matter and fighting racism um, in this country. And we also see that with the coronavirus. This is a superordinate goal. We cannot contain this virus by working independently of one another. The world is way too interconnected at this point. We have to work together to to solve these these types of problems. So, folks, there's so much here to insurrection. This is not just a throwaway movie. There's uh, there's a ton of really great great stuff here. I'm gonna catch up on the comments here. While we're watching the Badmiral, uh, this was a movie that uh, verified Riker's decision to grow a beard was a correct one. Jonathan Frakes really does look better with facial hair, says Glenn. Um, Glenn, as a, a fellow uh, individual, has a beard, although mine is uh, much lighter than um, than Riker's. Uh, I agree that the beard makes him look much more distinguished. So the story of the beard, for those of you who are not familiar, is uh, Jonathan Frakes started growing that beard during the, I believe, during the writer's strike um, early on in Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. Not just the writer's strike for Star Trek, but the writer's strike for uh, the Writers Guild of America. And um, um, I uh, 
he grew a beard during that time. And I think the story goes that when he came back to shoot, he still had the beard. They were doing like a, a read through of the next script. And uh, Gene Roddenberry loved the beard so much he, and thought it looked so navel and nautical. Nautical is, is the term that he told him to keep it. Um, I think the beard really does make him look much more distinguished. Without the beard, he looks a lot younger. And uh, it's a different look. Um, he looks uh, he looks much more playful, which is, I think, what they're going for. This whole movie has all the characters in some way becoming younger. And much like Riker, if I if I shave my beard, I look like I'm like 20 years old. Um, not a good look for a psychologist to look like they're like not even out of college. So uh, I keep mine and uh, I'm glad Riker's brought his back in uh in the future. So I will say from a 2020 perspective, the, um, the Baku are really not a very, um, ethnically diverse people. They all look pretty darn white. I don't know if that was a casting thing or where Hollywood was in the nineties, but, um, it's, it's a little, it sticks out now, not only in Star Trek that where we have Idik, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, something about it feels kind of icky to me. Um, maybe there are some people of color among the Baku. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, f- folks can let me know in the comment section here. Linda, I too wish we got to see some Deep Space Nine movies. I would love to see the continuing evolution here. Um, if folks haven't seen the Deep Space Nine documentary that just came out, um, you see it, it's wonderful. And um, throughout that documentary, you see, if anyone remembers the name of the documentary, throw it in the comments here. What we see in that documentary is the original, some of the original writers are breaking what they think would be a season eight of Deep Space Nine. And it's, it's as if we got back, we went back to Deep Space Nine right now after all these, you know, 20 years or so have gone by. It's, I won't spoil where they go with the storyline, but it's wonderful to see that evolution of where these characters might be. For folks uh, trying to keep track or joining us late, we're just at about one hour and one minute into Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. What? No, 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 no. Not, we're not into that. We're in Star Trek Insurrection. Sorry. Heather says, um, going camping recently reminded me it's really nice to step away and to slow down and just be in the present. Heather, there's this wonderful idea called biophilia. I think I've mentioned on the show before that for reasons we're not completely sure of, just being in nature makes us feel better. We recover from illnesses better when we are um, when we are in um, an environment where we see nature. We think it's because we probably evolved in those environments, but exposure to nature not only helps us to be more present, especially if we don't get signals on our cell phones. Um, it also helps us to heal in much the same way as the the briar patch um, can help us to heal as well. Oh, 
Oh, Rebecca, great point over here. So the regenerative rings, um, they affect Jordy's eyes, but not Picard's heart. <sighs> so Picard doesn't have a organic heart. So he has um, he has an artificial heart. So there is no heart to regenerate. You could make the argument that maybe other aspects of his heart, maybe they could regrow, but maybe they aren't because that machinery is in there. I don't know. Um, Jordy's, uh, it doesn't really make sense. Actually, you're totally right, Rebecca. It doesn't make sense because Jordy has retinal implants. We see them in Star Trek First Contact. So that is some um, machinery in much the same way as as uh, Picard's heart is. Um, so what's what's going on there? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Glenn says, um, if Picard had come back to Anish, as they hinted might happen at the end of the film, he wouldn't have become that lost old man he was at the beginning of the Picard series. Yeah, you know, I I wish um, I, if this was an episode, maybe they would have been able to do that um, in the way that we see with Picard and Vosh. Um, I wish we got to see more of Anij and we got to see their relationship develop. Wherever they filmed, it's gorgeous. I agree, Linda. Um, Larry would definitely know where it was filmed. Um, and I wish, I wish I knew, but, um, I really want to visit it. Um, I do like uh, Beverly and Troy talking about <laughs> talking about their boobs because let me let me say why before that comment is taken way out of context. Um, I I like that because um, this is supposed to be this noble future utopian place where all these things don't matter and i love that reaction uh-huh um because they they both do acknowledge that um some of that stuff can continue to play out in society and if you look at also i, I think you can there could be a lot of layers there you can look at these two um, women characters on this cast who did have some not so good genderal stuff play out in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, that they did, there were some sexist storylines that both, um, Troy and Beverly, um, were uh, experienced as much as there were also some very amazing storylines that were, uh, very much future thinking and showed us equality, um, between genders so i love that it does that but this also reminds me uh, i put a pin right here let me let me take out that pin i wanted to talk about body image here so the baku can really be um sort of a cautionary tale about being too focused on your appearance 
too focused on your body image and what can happen in in the most extreme sense. Uh, wonderful CG work here with the Enterprise E. Just beautiful to see it against a briar patch and to see that that color of space. Um, the the Sona can really be this cautionary uh, story about um, too much of a focus on our appearance. Um, there's some research that um, from the Fiji Islands. The Fiji Islands didn't have television, and then uh, researchers were able to see what happens when Western TV was introduced to Fiji Islands, and rates of eating disorders and bio um, and body image problems really uh, shot up there after T- Western TV was introduced. And so, I think it's it's important for us to think about what are the images we get bombarded with, what are uh, the ideal body types that we get to see, and oftentimes. Times um, the images we see for men are hyper masculine, uh, very strong muscular males. The um, some great wharf moments there with him just blasting those things. On the other side, with women, the, a lot of the images we see in advertising are like 0.1% of the population. The the 99% of women we see in media come from a very, very limited body type, very slender, um, a body type that is uh, very much impossible for most of us to have. Um, and we're not even getting into other aspects of diversity of, of appearance. So um, it, it's something that I really am um, concerned about is just how much someone's self-esteem can plummet when they see these images of beauty and the Sona are really um, uh, a cautionary story against that. Um, here again, we see a crew um, as as Riker rejects the warp core. Uh, well, Jordy already did it, um, and this uh, this really horrible weapon. We see a crew that is very comfortable with each other. Uh, uh, even um, among all this uh, chaos, and I just, I just love seeing the next generation crew in this place because that's where we see the original series crew. By the time we get to the voyage home, and um, actually we see a little bit of insurrection in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, um, but with Voyage Home and even the Final Frontier, the Yosemite scenes there, I, I love those scenes, and then with Star Trek Six. We, we see a crew that's so comfortable with each other, and it's so wonderful to see the next generation crew get to be that playful and comfortable with each other. We didn't, we don't see as much of that in first contact, and that's something I just, I just love about insurrection. Catching up on the comments again, folks. Uh, Dan, you're right. Discovery did have the episode about the Federation cultures that reject tech. Um, thank you for the reminder of that. Yeah, Linda, I think it was very difficult for LeVar to be working with that visor. Um, I I know for a lot of people, his character um, and the idea of his character of a blind man piloting the enterprise like it, it meant so much in terms of um uh people who have dif- different disabilities and different abilities to see that um and i 
also think it was hard for LeVar Burton to portray a character wearing these prosthetics. And at the same time, it meant a lot for him. So um, at a time when we didn't really see many characters, and we still often don't, characters who have different um, abilities on, uh, on the TV screen or big screen. Wow, Jared, I love your story here about meeting LeVar's uh, dad before you met LeVar. That's that's wonderful. Uh, I I would have told him, uh, what would I tell LeVar Burton's dad if I met him? I think I would have said, um, I really love your son's work and it's meant a lot to me. Um, I'm, I love how angry Riker is getting here um, at dealing with these uh, these Sona. The Riker Maneuver is coming up. Fun fact, the Riker Maneuver is something I referenced in a uh, role-playing game I, I uh, played a few weeks ago. All right, the joystick. Um, manual control. Uh, this, this part of the movie I completely hate. It's so ridiculous. It's so stupid, folks. I had that joystick. I played a lot of a video game called um, Wing Commander in uh, in the 90s. And I had that joystick for my PC. Um, and to me, this idea that you can pilot this starship using this very simple access joystick with a trigger button it's so stupid it's so stupid like i i love the idea of l cars that um much like the touchscreen interfaces we have with our phones now and our 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 tablets that it the interface changes depending on the task i love that idea in l cars that it, we can get different controls for different situations but this is a physical thing that appears out of like the middle and it's not for the con officer it's it's for the captain um whoever is in command of the starship and it's like one button it's a totally non configurable like maybe it's the software is configurable but the manual control is not it's so if larry was here i want would want to ask him why why larry why why the why the joystick but um but he's not um we need to just like write down all the questions we have for larry so we can ask him the next next time we see him here Catching up on the comments, folks. Yeah, Daniel, I agree. When Picard made this sort of speech in the first Picard episode, it removed all doubt that um, he was indeed back. I love that scene in Star Trek Picard where he's being interviewed uh, for many reasons. One, it catches us up on, on the canon and what's what's been happening in this prime timeline. But it, it does also reflect back those wonderful moments where Picard is... It's almost like he's looking at us and talking to us directly and saying... No, this is wrong. I am your conscience. I am here to remind you of doing the right thing, of these high aspirational goals that we have that we need to be meeting. I absolutely love that about um, about Picard. Mm-hmm. 
Linda, the slavery reference being Whoopi's idea, um, I didn't know that. Um, that is uh, that's a great tidbit, and I, I hope we get to see more of that with Guinan in the next season of Star Trek Picard. He's our. Uh, uh, I was going to say Jean Luc invited back Guinan, but um, uh, Sir Patrick invited back uh, Whoopi Goldberg on um, on the View uh, to join them for season two of Star Trek Picard, but. With this current state of the world, who knows when season two will be filmed. Ah, I see the Star Trek Life Support Live drinking game is uh, is active. I, I hope we uh, hope I am representing well for you all. Tim, you say Data doesn't have his emotion chip in the movie. I think he very much does. I think he just sort of gets better at dealing with it sometime after um, first contact. Or maybe he gets better at turning it on and off when needed. Because I I think he has it on a lot (laughs) in this movie. He's doing a lot of silly, uh, as my, my daughter would say, giggles and wiggles things in this movie. Uh, for those of you keeping check, we are at one hour and 15 minutes into this movie and in about 30 seconds. It's hard to believe that there's like still so much movie left that there's about 27 minutes left. I feel like we're kind of at the end here, but I guess not. Yeah, Dan, um, you have a great comment here about uh, one person can make a difference and how similar that is to the end of Mirror Mirror. Um Absolutely. Spock makes a decision there and, uh, yeah, it kind of destroys the Terran Empire. And then we just, we see in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the humans aren't necessarily in a great place anymore after that. Um, okay. So I am here at, uh, one hour and 16 minutes and these drones are following our crew. Um, this is also why I think the action is not that interesting in this movie is like they're fighting cgi drones like oh no but let's look at this again from our 2020 lens and um this is well before drones were as available as they are now anyone can really have a drone um these ideas of um these autonomous vehicles of uh privacy of surveillance in in all these ways star trek insurrection was exploring these um and these are very much real world issues that um that we are dealing with um let me catch up here. Uh, Rebecca says, uh, funny, only funny story. I am an American in UK and now I pay taxes to the US without representation. Um, that is funny. Do you, do you still get to vote in, um, with an absentee ballot, Rebecca, let me know. I'm I'm very curious about that. Um, but I'm guessing you you do pay um, 
maybe you have representation in the United States, but maybe you don't in um, in the UK. Um, Rescue Ranger, I am late on saying hello, but welcome. Welcome on Twitch. We are watching Star Trek Insurrection and just having a lot of fun talking about stuff, doing things, celebrating the 4th of July in the United States and, I guess, outside the United States, too. Tim says Riker hated being called Babyface Riker, so ended up growing a beard. Is that your in-canon explanation, Tim, for the beard? We also have an in-canon explanation, or we have a out-of-canon explanation for the the other Riker maneuver. So I think this, I don't know if this is intentional. Again, Larry would know better. But we have the Riker maneuver here in the movie. But what fans call the Riker maneuver is the way Riker sits down in chairs. He kind of like walks over them and sits down, which is such a lovely character uh, character bit. But it's he, um, Jonathan Frakes sits down that way because of back problems. I think he had um, he was in some kind of accident. I don't know if it was a car accident when he was younger, and this is the only way he can comfortably sit down in chairs. So it's an interesting both character moment, but there's a very important real world reason why he engages in the Riker maneuver like that. It was for the Federation. It was all for the Federation. So here we see another example of rationalization, of our mind's ability to justify our actions. And um, what's so interesting about uh, all of us have this self-defense um, uh, think about it as a psychological immune system that our minds are able to... Um, to find reasons for what we do and to change our beliefs to fit our behavior. Our, our minds can very easily change our beliefs to fit our behavior, but also change our behavior to fit our beliefs. It works both ways. That's why we all need a Picard in our lives to remind us of what our values are in our moral compass, because without that, we can kind of go in whatever direction and find excuses for what we do. Um, this scene with the bad Merle getting his face warped. Oh, it is such a bummer. Um, oof, that's that's pretty gruesome. If you had any doubt that the Sona are, or especially F. Murray Abraham's Sona is not a good person. Well, there you go. Now you see it. Admiral Doughty will not be joining us for dinner. <laughs> That's a good line. This movie, it's so it's so good. Alright, folks, let's see here. Can I catch up on comments? Folks, we might have something might be happening here. 
that I would be very excited about if Larry, can you hear me? Are you there? I No. No, he is not. <laughs> Larry is not here. We almost had it, folks. Uh we will keep trying there. Um all right, for folks uh, keeping track, we're at one hour and 22 minutes here into Star Trek Insurrection. Now, this this ending scene was very much redone. Larry, can you hear me? Hey, folks! Dr. Trek is here. You... <laughs> Dr. Trek has joined us. Larry, we are at one hour, 22 minutes into Star Trek Insurrection. Um, Admiral Doherty is not joining us for dinner. He is, he's not going to be here. Um, he's gone. Oh, it is. He's not the only one, apparently. Okay. <laughs> it is lovely to see you here, Dr. Trek, my yes. friend. Happy 4th, Larry. How are you holding up today? How am I holding up? Yeah. Well, I thought I would pull. I thought I would pull. This is going to be an experiment today, so I thought I would give you the experiment of having your independence. <laughs> and doing the whole show yourself. No, I, um, I certainly did have the independence. Um, very happy to be here. Well, now you know um, you have the medal. <laughs> we have uh, uh, Glenn is saying it's a miracle. Larry, uh, Larry beamed in here. Um, yeah. We're very happy to have you here, Larry. Um, so many, so many questions for you, Larry. Um, can you bump up your monitor here? I've got you. I've got you a little bit in the Delta Quadrant. I want to bring. You I know. Up I was. Oh, there we go. Wonderful, I'm... Larry. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Zone of uh, the Baku Village. Do you know where that was? It was Lake Sherwood out in the west part of the valley. See? And none of that. It was all built. And it was all built and wiped out by the... I lived in California four years, in L.A. four years, in 98. And I found out what El Nino was. Mm-hmm. The, the cooling and winter trends. Yes. Yeah. I'd never heard of the concept until that spring, and their entire village was wiped out by a huge storm, and they had to rebuild everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were wondering about that. Is it, um, can you easily, can you visit that area now? If, it's if really hard because, well, it was hard then. I was going to check and see if it was, has it been developed, but you basically were kind of out in the country. That lake, that stream is a real stream or it's a man-made stream, but it was there and that bridge over it was, was built. But everything else they built for the show. This was going to be the big, oh, look, we're going to spend money and go outdoors. Yeah. Um, and then they had to rebuild it twice. So, yeah. Um, the Riker maneuver and the, the joystick. I need to talk to you about that. So, two questions here. I'm going to see a psychologist have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, was the Riker maneuver... Is that a little uh, poking fun at the Riker maneuver of sitting down in the chair, or is that just coincidence here? That was just Michael thinking he was going to have a have a funny little joke thing that everyone would think was adorable. Okay, and it's not. It's it's not. No. Okay, tell me about the joystick. It was just I had that joystick in the nineties. I used that joystick to play video games on my computer. They uh, they um. I don't know. My my fan of hearts would like to say it's an homage to the joystick throttle from the motion picture, uh, you know, original yeah. series. 
but that's not. It was somebody just thought we'll do it. <laughs> so we're here at the we're here at the ending. I know the ending was changed. I don't oh, yes. know what 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 happened. Like I mentioned, your story that you told me about the Heart of Darkness storyline. This originally supposed to be an, um, a Romulan story. It wasn't, and then we got so much Romulan stuff later on. So I know that was changed. I've seen the alternate ending here, but I don't know the story of what happened and, and why that all changed. Basically, what happened was I'm trying to remember the other the other example of this, but uh, oh, it's it's like generations. They filmed, they scripted and filmed an ending originally, just like in generations originally. Um, Soran or, or Kirk is shot in the back. Yeah, um, on the bridge, and they redid it, but they were running out of time. anyway. In this case, the whole ending is that um, at, the, at the battle with the ships and the collector and all that, um, Rafo, he, he, he falls off the ship or whatever. Anyway, he, he fall, physically falls through the metaphasic, through the, through the effect. Like and, the Star Wars Emperor. <laughs> yes, but he, but, he, but he de-ages. Oh. And he de-ages like to a fetus and then pops out. Okay. Okay. It was going to be, a, they, and they did it. They shot the, they did the makeup effect, everything, and and they did a like wrinkle, wrinkle, real face, young kid, little baby. Then you kind of see goo, and then, <laughs> and they saw the screening. It was never like in a test audience. They were watching the screening, and they go, "This that looked really good on a script page." Yeah. This isn't going to work. Now, I'd like to be my own judge, but they said, we can't do this. So, okay. again, with a couple of months to go or whatever, six months to go, they went, ah! And the whole the other part of this movie was, uh, people could probably tell, in 1998, one of the caveats of the movie was going to be all the visual effects, the ships and everything, were all going to be digital. No physical models. There had been a physical model yes. built to the E for First Contact. Yeah. Santa Barbara Studios, I think which yeah. is probably no longer in business. Everything was all CGI'd, which explains how the collector works and you know the yep. things furling. Okay. So, but with six months to go, there wasn't time to, to CGI up everything. So they actually built a physical model of the collector ship, and that whole explosion down the line was actually a physical model that was rigged with regular model pyro, and they took a camera down the length of the ship and tried. In other words, they thought, okay, him de-aging was too soft an, an ending. So we've got to have a big bang traditional ending. So that's why. Uh, it, it, I don't know, see. It's like I, I kind of okay. I kind of like that fetus aging thing. One of the things that I was talking about earlier is I. I don't think bef until we get to the Kelvin timeline. I don't think Star Trek really does action that well it's it's not we don't watch star trek for action we watch it for for these ideas for these characters for these moments um i think that would have been a cool moment and i think that would have been a nice little nod to 2001 a space odyssey and the space fetus and and all of that sort of stuff but you know i'm not an executive at paramount so maybe i don't i don't know what i'm talking about here well, this was 22 years ago so you know None of those people have jobs now. They're at Paramount anyway. Right. So. Right. 
Um, so the they've discovered that they're indeed on a hollow ship. Um, uh, Ralpho is is let out his his. Scream! Um, so we're coming up uh, to the final act of this movie, Larry. I want to. I want to hear your thoughts. Like, let's let's talk insurrection. Um, we're, I, I love. I've been on a gushing about how much. Insurrection I was going to say what say. was the, the thing I missed here is hearing everybody say, "What the hell did you go with insurrection?" Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of love. For insurrection here in this I in think this if watch you're party. Here today in the chat room, you're probably insurrection leaning anyway. Yeah, if so. you made it this far, <laughs> yeah. like some of us. Okay. <laughs> so let's uh, talk insurrection. So where where are you? You know, uh, if people don't know, Larry is also on. Um, you, you're on the commentary, um, a bonus feature here for all the Star Trek films. Um, so if you want to get Larry's deep thoughts on insurrection, you can definitely get it there. Uh, but I know that was a long day of filming for you guys. That that that. Oh, that sequence. panel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We did a, yeah, we did a panel for all of the next gen uh, movies. I think it's on the Blu-rays, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But but what are your thoughts about insurrection as we are here commemorating <gasps> in independence? Well, I mean, I agree with everybody. It did feel in the end. I mean, it was exciting in the time because they went, oh, my God, they built this whole exterior village. We're No bottle show for this movie, you know, going to get off the stages. And it was all outdoors and everybody was really excited about it until they had to rebuild everything in the rain, after the <laughs> rain. Um, but it, it's amazing how you didn't get that it felt like an episode until you saw it. I mean, until till we saw it, it was like, oh, that feels like a glorified two-hour episode. And that wasn't so much a knock. And then it became a knock on Michael Pillar. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, Michael wrote great TV. He's one of those actors like writers and directors that really TV is kind of their – the small screen is their medium and they can't really expand out. Which, if that was going to be my K3 today, you stole it, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> well, what was going to be your well, K3? Well, the K3 was going to be how ironic it is to me that everything Michael Pillar wanted to do with this movie yeah. initially and was told not to, yeah. led by Sir Patrick, who was only Patrick by, back then. Patrick thought oh, Romulans right. were boring and didn't want to use Romulans, and so everything that he started out to do throw the Romulans, a, a renegade Romulan. Um, so you had a renegade Romulan versus establishment Romulans. Oh, where have you heard that before? Which is exactly the point. Everything. Wait, wait, wait. What were the Romulans going to see do? that happen with uh, Nemesis? And then they bring it back 15 years later, different regime. Yeah. And they do it for the first movie yeah. in Star Trek 09 of the Kelvin movies. Yeah. And now it's, it's the plot of Picard. So I somewhere Michael's going, right. Right. Romulans are boring. Romulans are boring. Right. Tell me this again. Like, why? Why yeah. was I? Yeah. He wrote a book that was not published famously, and now Sandra has been able to publish it called Fading, where he goes through every agonizing detail 
of this process and how it was this movie was basically committed to death yeah we're uh, just just to keep up with the comments here a lot of love for for Patrick Stewart in a climbing finale sequence much like First Contact an opportunity for Sir Patrick to show off those guns of his um, and and Dan kind of pushing back here on on me a little bit and saying that I'm not sure about you Ali but one of the many reasons I watch Trek is for the action um, so maybe I'm wrong maybe uh, I, I do like the space action the the ships doing their things I'm a I was a big fan of the micro machines uh, Star Trek ships back in the 90s yeah I'm a, yeah I used to do I used to make all my own battles as a kid with the pews and, and all the sound effects but um, maybe there is a lot of love here for the Star Trek uh, action sequences uh, well, I think so. I mean, they do, you know, the whole thing with the collector and the metaphasic waves and all of that. I, it's, it's, it all looks okay. Now, you can tell it's a little, not early CG, but it's not, not as refined a CG as it is today. Yeah. It does, yeah. But they, it's not but that they, bad, though. Right, right, right. They, you get it when you're watching close and, and you're looking at the textures. And when the, when the, when the shield unrolls like a wannabe Bajoran solar sailor. Right. <laughs> the collector, I should say. <laughs> when that comes out, it's kind of like, oh, look, it's a little on the 1990s CG side. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I just want to say I'm catching up in the chat, too. And hi, everybody, for mostly the love, I think. Um <laughs> I, when I said it was a special Fourth of July edition, I didn't tell you how special it was going to be. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Larry, what what was the original storyline? Like, what were the Romulans going to do? Was this um, Fountain of Youth was, idea in there? It, it, it kind of, but it was basically there was a Romulan that had gone rogue. Uh, a Romulan had gone rogue upriver. And yeah. uh, Picard was somehow tasked into going up and going after that when – anyway, the, the, the rogue Romulan became the element of data being rogue at the site. So, yeah. Okay. The, the okay. thing about this is it's, you know, as much as uh, the motion picture gets lambasted for being the changeling redone, you know, the beginning of this is like – it's like what if this is who watches the Watchers on right. steroids only right. – you know, there's two factions of the natives at each other, not, not, um, not just one bunch of of uh, underlings, but two very, you know, different. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. And the sad thing was that you know Picard and Anij actually kissed twice, and both of the kisses are gone or deleted. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, it's quite frustrating. Um, <laughs> Not That's to... what she said. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, this was another question to ask you. Um, we were talking about Beverly Oops. Picard. We were talking about Anish and Picard. Um, you know, Picard just doesn't uh, seem to get uh, the love, um, the love interest, and the relationship. Um, it just doesn't flourish much for him. It, it's so wonderful to see Troy and Riker have that here again um but um picard doesn't get that and we don't even see that in in star trek picard either um picard's alone um it's just kind of a kind of a bummer yeah and remember 
when you finally saw Picard and Crusher together, Beverly together, that it's Michael writing the story, and not that there's not a committee writing this movie, but uh, he was never one in favor of pushing that too much, maybe mm-hmm. teasing it around the edges, but not really. It was, you know, uh, attached. The seventh season episode was really when Michael was off doing DS9 and back, and Jerry Taylor was really show running next gen and Michael was definitely there and he swooped back to have to weigh in on the finale but um, he it was really one of those things of okay 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 seventh season you really finally want to push this okay and that's when you had attached I'm saying seventh it wasn't late sixth was I think it was seven. anyway I'm not yeah. looking yeah I I'm think it was early on. seven well it was it was late mid late ish one of the two last two seasons but the point is um, it really wasn't like in his bone it wasn't in anybody's bones all those years it was, it was marina and, and Jonathan in anyone's bones all the all the the glances at the end of the scene at the end of the reel you know kind of thing kept it going until they got to play with it once or twice but it was just a, yeah it's totally up to marina and Jonathan that that storyline ever happened and kept up with and and took off. And uh, but yeah, Gates is. I know if Rebecca's in the chat. It's she. Yeah, it's her. She is. Uh, I'm sure you've had great conversations. But yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's sad to say this, but as much as Marina felt like she was kind of on the on the outs at times. I'm talking about actors and clout. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's still like this is a glorified. Sometimes the way Paramount treated these movies as glorified TV episodes. Except with the cast clout billing, you know, it's 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 we went from the ensemble led by Patrick to uh, the ensemble with Patrick in first billing and Brent in second billing as Data, and everybody, you know, it became it became Hollywoodized that way, which yeah. is all movies kind of had that fate, and that's it's just the opposite of the motion of the original series. The original series was very Hollywood billing. And then the movies were democratized for the crew. Like everybody got more and more to do and flesh out their characters. And it was just the opposite with Next Gen. Next it, Gen you know, yeah. What one thing I'll, I'll say about that? Looking at this from a 2020 perspective, knowing what happens with Nemesis, you mean the year or the eyesight. <laughs> Both, oh, I guess. <laughs> um, knowing that Data sacrifices himself for Picard and knowing why he does and the effect that that had on him because Data can understand his death in Star Trek Picard. It is, um, it's nice to see that those, that thread that really gets crystallized in the, mo- in the next generation films does pay off in Star Trek Picard. Um, mm-hmm. That while I, I, I wish we got to see more of the whole ensemble, it's nice that Picard and Data do get that end together in in Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Picard. Um, Doctor Trek, question for you: We were talking about this. <laughs> Is Admiral Doherty secretly Section Thirty One? Oh well, you could you could maybe say that. I think if he uh, is, he's a bad Section Thirty One. I know. Well, they always are. <laughs> Slot was pretty good. You know, Bad Merle is not just in motivation. <laughs> bad Merle is also in execution, and uh, maybe not so much acting, but uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it's because Pressman in um, you know Admiral Lost, um, Pressman in the Pegasus is kind of that way it's like well wait this whole pegasus ship was it really you know it was an off the book secret op, black ops 
you know, the cloaking device, the phasing cloak. And in, uh, and you're kind of like, well, it sure would be convenient if all these out of control, you know, if badmills were just acting under orders for thir- for 31. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, that wasn't a... I'm trying to think, in 98, you barely had Section 31, 97 into 98, you barely had it introduced on DS9 the last couple of years. Yeah, that's exactly right? what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah, Dan is mentioning here that I'd like to promote Micro Pillar's excellent book, Fade In, available from Sandra Pillar's website. It's yes. a great read. I haven't read that, but uh, thank you, Dan, for that recommendation. I have the, uh, back when I did The Companion, Yeah. Uh, we updated for the movies, and I talked to Michael, and he said, he goes, okay, before we do an interview on Insurrection here, and he turns around and he hands me this binder that's that, that you know, it's printed off paper. He goes, here. Read this, and then we'll talk about insurrection. He's like, mm-hmm. if you've got any questions left, and I was like, oh, because I'd heard about his book that was not published, and it's like, well, here it is. So in you know, 2002, I was soaking all this up, and it was just, it was just. Amazing. And what's funny is, the book wasn't even censored. The book was censored not because there was some horrible you know, Harvey Weinstein moment in it or something or some whatever. It was because somebody at Paramount who was an old school producer, somebody in the executive ranks who was, had apparently missed pop culture for the last 30 years, thought that it was insane. It's like, oh my God, we can't let the public know what our process is because we'll all look like idiots. So that it wasn't even, is hilarious. It's a fact. It was about the fact that you can't you can't do a making of well aside from the fact that tell that to the ghost of Stephen Poe who wrote the making of Star Trek in the, in 1968 yeah you know I mean plus everything that had been done Star Trek and otherwise since then and that was 98 and now you know people bare their souls on <laughs> on bonus features on all DVD, the time yeah you know? it's such even such in a house era. vanilla things show well, you this was this was probably one of the last films that came out uh, before DVDs really took off and before um, all of that extra footage was really a part of the culture or this might have been right as I was happening so that I think that's a really great point because yeah, um, Nemesis doesn't really have a ton of that so <laughs> uh, Larry a question for you from uh, Stephen um, Stephen Nemechek. <laughs> Maybe you're familiar. Some of the uh, space imagery in this movie. I'd um, be your new co-host next week. <laughs> Steven. Uh, I, I, I need I need a backup uh, co-host. Uh, let me know if you're interested. I, I need Steven. Here's the truth. I just need a Nemechek. I need a Nemechek on the show. I'm happy. To, I'll, I'll take any uh, any that come away. Was any of the space imagery there derived from Hubble? Because the the Briar Patch is is really beautiful, and it does look like some of the um, the imagery that's come out of Hubble. Is it is it just an inspiration there? In much the same way as the Star Trek Beyond, the warp sequence is really. Um, inspired by new ideas of what um of of what that might look like is it just science fiction imitating science or, or was it something else i don't more? i'm trying to remember i don't think i think it was imitating so now in first contact the first beauty pass the first time you see the e you know the introduction of the e and it comes across and there's a huge nebula behind that's the that's uh, not the horse head nebula that that was uh, Hubble images and a lot of Hubble images were used on Voyager in astrometrics. There, uh, there was a pipeline, totally a personal pipeline between the shuttle imaging team, 
um, and, and who has fandom and Star Trek roots and the visual effects team on Voyager. And it overlapped with using it on First Contact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Steven saying I'd, happy, I'd be happy to join here. <laughs> I just asked for more money, though. When, uh, uh, I, I pay yeah. in, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I pay in. Uh, I will offer a complimentary life support prep session. Is that in quad loose? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or get sex. Just worthless... Yeah. Gold, as Quark would say, is is, is mm-hmm. how I pay. Um, Glenn, if this had been a Nemesis watch party, there might have been only three people watching. I disagree, my friend. We we can we pulled out so much. Larry, we talked about drone surveillance. We talked I about hear, like, I, yeah. yeah yeah. We talked about forced relocation. We talked about mindfulness, and we talked about rejecting social media and technology and being present in the moment. There's so. Mm-hmm. Much that from a modern perspective you can look at insurrection and I don't know how much of that is subtext, I, I don't know how much of that is just looking at it's, it from a modern I, lens I have to say though that some people who are re- apparently rejecting technology uh, are not present in the moment so you might want to double think that um, hmm. well, yeah <laughs> there's there's that. <laughs> I'm just glad. Hey, I wouldn't like call it rejection either, so oh well. Um, I pay in self-sealing stem bolts. <laughs> Dead. That is awesome. Yeah, Tim, you're saying Nemesis is great. Um, well, we've, we've got credits here. And um, Larry, I just want to uh, take a moment. Uh, well, the credits are done. The movie's over. Um, <laughs> um you know, looking back at Nemesis um, and looking back at uh, this is our penultimate um, Next Generation film. Um, any final thoughts about about this movie, about its themes, about looking at it from now, about what it means to you? And and in the comments, let us know: Has your opinion on on Insurrection changed watching it together? I I think it's one of the most fun movies to watch with friends. With Star Trek friends. So, has your opinion changed in, in the comments? Uh, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Because um, I, I, as far as how it's changed, I'm still curious about what the, you were laughing. There's been a lot of people. Talk, I mean, I saw, as we announced this just in the last couple of days, I saw a lot of people going, really? Really? Insurrection, really? And a good friend of mine, <laughs> his go-to with Nemesis always is... Uh, he's always have you have you noticed how your boobs are starting to firm up? And he's like he's all, it's like that line, Mac. Like oh really? Like what? What a fingernails on chalkboard, you know? Line another another case of Michael trying to throw in a funny line, and it like you know landing with a thud for him anyway. So I I um I, I've been curious if anybody has anybody had like just out and out. Have you had friendly? criticism hopefully friendly in our group here um i don't think there's been a lot of a big criticism of the movie i think we've been having a lot of fun with it and pointing out the things that we like i um i like the boob line and i defended it in in, in this movie oh. because I, I think it's it is a little bit of winking to either the the ways in which um um sexism still played out in Star Trek and especially the next generation with our two um, female characters of this ensemble talking about it in, in this safe place with each other. Is that, is that Bechtel or not? I don't, 
think it was. No. <sighs> no, I mean, I don't think this... Well, I think Star Trek The Next Generation passes the Bechdel test in different episodes. Does that it was, in this movie? I don't... Is that the only time the two of them talk to each other alone and then Data kind of... Is there? I, I, I think this movie fails the Bechdel test. Do two women talk to each other not about a male or about those kind of like sexist themes in a mm. film? Um, I don't think it passes that. Um, but I, I, I like that they're kind of talking about how these things still play out in the 24th century and we still have, have room to go. Um, but that's the thing with Nemesis. There's also these other moments that just fall flat. I hate the infl- um, uh, floatable, infl- uh, inflatable device uh, uh, I, data I, moment. It can also be used as, a, as, yes, as a flotation device. Flotation yeah. device. Thank you. Because um, that just seems to me such a 1990s reference that no one in the 24th century would ever say. Um, mm-hmm. It takes me completely out of the movie. But the very next moment, they're laughing about uh, Worf's pimple. And I love that because, of course, the Klingons would have these giant zits, uh, of course. So that's my thing about about insurrection. Yeah, is yeah. Th- there's wonderful moments. And then there's also just some very silly things that just did any- fall flat. Did anybody talk about the lost Ferengi? No. What lost Ferengi? Oh, maybe this should be my K3 then here at the last second. So <laughs> it's sad because after first contact, one of the things about one of the many things about first contact was the two cameos, right? On in character and out. So you've got yes. Picardo being the EMH of the Enterprise E, which yes. was a surprise, and people went, "Oh!" and it reinforced the whole EMH concept. Like that was cool. And then you also had Johnny Phillips, Ethan Phillips, being the Mater D at the nightclub, at the Holodeck nightclub. If you right. know him, right? Okay. So people went, "Oh, wait, that's Johnny Phillips. That's Ethan Phillips." So they were like, okay, we have to do that again. His voice is very distinctive. You can you can pick up on that. Yeah, you can. You can tell. That's totally. That's totally. Um, uh, Anyone here wants some Leola root? That's a Leola root for you. <laughs> but so they went. We have to do that for. We have to obviously we have to do that for uh, for the next one. That was such a hit. And ironically, they brought in the two main Ferengis to do this. They actually had a scene with Quark at the end, like a little cherry on top scene at the very end. And they had a scene for Max Grudenchik that plays Rom, but not as Rom. And they both are gone, which is sad. But one of them was one of the parts of the movie that I kind of I don't know if anybody else did was the whole war. It's cool. Cool. They got together. But the whole Worf and Troy in high school again, yeah. or junior high even, that was kind of like, eh. okay. Um, most high schoolers then don't take it into a bath scene, so bathtub with bubbles, so, oh well. But originally, there was a scene in the ship's library, like why do they even have a library? Every console can be configured for, you know, but they go do their research in the library room, uh, the library computer literally, and there's an old school an old, a retro, like, crew librarian testing old madam librarian who keeps, okay. like, staring at him over her glasses or whatever. But also, Max Grudenchik plays a male trill who is sitting there trying to study, and when they start throwing the paper, they totally cut him out. They're like a, they're like a console apart, and they keep throwing the 
Like, where do they get paper to make paper wads? <laughs> I can't remember if that's still in. They're throwing paper wads, and it, they're hitting him in the crossfire, and it's bothering him. And he's like, <clears throat> and then the librarian gets onto them for disturbing the... It's re- But it's supposed to be like, oh, look, they're back in high school. They're youthening. Oh, oh. So, thankfully, somebody said, this is crap. This does not work. This looks ridiculous. This is embarrassing. And they cut it out. But so, but he's he's credited. And at the very end, there's a, a piece of lost footage that Armin gave to me that Jonathan gave him. And I've had it ever since. If you've seen one of my fundraisers, you might have seen it at a convention, folks. But basically, Cork shows up with the very after the plot is solved. It's right before they just beam out. And Picard and Anish have their last little talk. But right before that, uh, Cork and two double girls show up and say, this is great. This is great. I can't wait to start a gambling concession on this planet. It's amazing. And Picard's like, there will be no gambling concession on this. <laughs> and Cork goes, I'm sorry. Do I know you? <laughs> I... And, say, and Worf is standing there and Picard says, Mr. Worf. Would you take our offlander and his guests and put, get them on the Enterprise, and we'll redeposit them with you at DS Nine? And Worf uh, goes, "Must you, sir?" Uh, <laughs> Which was a little, the best three words in the movie because <laughs> it's like it's personally impacting him, right? Because he'll go back anyway. But that that was all cut out because they thought it was too much of a like. Look, we've ended the movie; it just slows down the end. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a bit much. Um, I, I, I love it. I, I wish that footage was more available. Um, I, I think that's that's a great bonus feature for a DVD, uh, but probably didn't. They were going to, but they can't. All the years I was trying to track down the two double girls' names aren't in the credits, yeah. even as extras, and they're not on the call sheets. They're not anywhere. Like there's probably one piece of paper. Like it's like uh, Isis the cat from from Assignment Earth. It's like there was one piece of paper with her name on it, and we finally found it on yeah. the trek file. Uh, uh, in the right very far. So there's one piece of paper with those two double girls' names. Although, I say this, they have since come to light. This was my speech for 10 years. They have now since come to light, finally, in the era of the internet. But the point was, at the last time they did a disc for that, they couldn't find their names. Attorney, They didn't have features uh, covered, and the attorneys would not let them use it. Yeah, Because they didn't want them showing up and saying, where well, they could have probably thrown 500 bucks at them for yeah. that. Yeah. Say no. Now we need ten thousand because you did it without our permission. Right, so attorneys right. said, "Don't include it." And attorneys they always ruin all the fun. Um, Re- Rebecca, you say here that you mentioned the boob comment. I missed your comment, um, uh, so please reshare it because I'd love I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it looks like you've had a very healthy chat. I'm, I apologize to everybody for. There's uh, there's a big controversy. So Dan says there's a oh um, Dan had a question here too, Larry. As we as we start um, to wrap up here, I'm still wondering about the aerial shot of the away team on the hills and how that was filmed. Um, Dan, I think you're. Are you talking about the very beginning with the with the duck blind, or are you talking about the long? Yeah, the long. long uh, maybe, maybe Dan's asking about that long um, uh, journey of people um, getting to safety. Um, I don't. Well, I have no clue how that was. Going. I haven't thought about it, but there. It wasn't a drone shot. They didn't have drones in '98 like that. So only uh, CGI once. 
<laughs> right, right, right. Um, that you can hit with your dead rifle. Yes. Definitely uh, feeling aggressive tendencies, sir. Definitely feeling aggressive tendencies. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I just, I want to say this again once, and I, it has to be some kind of a, a of a low of a small plane or a helicopter shot as they swoop in and do that. They're, what's the? There's a famous like '40s movie where you get that. Uh, I, I can't think what it is, but um, it has to be it has to be a helicopter or a plane shot. And you, we can tell we need to if, just look at the credits and see if there's a credit for an era, you know, a plane, some kind of flying service for camera work. Uh, but what was the other thing you asked me? Something else? Oh, oh, I wanted to say. The thing I think this movie suffers from, I started to say this. When the movies became movietized and you lost the neck, as much as Michael said, I want to bring the family feeling back to Trek, it's like it almost runs, that almost runs full blam into the, the, the cinematic Hollywood business need for a billing order. Mm-hmm. And it's like when the movies went on, especially the further they got from Generations, that the actual actors in the cast, there's there's a there's a clout pecking order. Now we'd say, oh look, go look at their MDB rating, or go look at their their Rotten Tomatoes score. And now it's all digitized, and it's all coldly, analytically, mathematically. I sound like uh, uh, Samuel T. Cogley here. Pasteurized, processed, uh, computerized, and there's definitely a clout factor. And the women. Marina and Gates are just kind of on the bottom of that. You got the yeah. guy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's Patrick and Brent and then Jonathan in there somewhere, although he was like the humble guy. And LeVar is there just because it's LeVar and, you know, reading Rainbow. And uh, and Michael, because it's Worf and you got to, if we're going to go to the trouble of explaining yet again why Worf is here, right. you know. Which I, I and, love that they don't. And, I, I love and that Marina like, is the, yeah. huh? I love that they don't explain why. What? What the hell are you? Well, I don't next scene. Like, I, I do appreciate that. They do. They eventually say, "Well, you know, before Worf goes away, no. um, <laughs> at least in the in Nemesis, he's there for the wedding, right? Right, right, right. Uh, but uh, the women are at the the pecking order of, yeah. of, of, of salaries and all that. And here, and Marina is the squeaky wheel. Yeah. And then, and Gates is the quiet one who, you know, and, but they're both, they're both at the bottom. So I think part of this whole thing about uh, the women and the Bechtelness and all that, once again, and they try to give them, here, we're giving you the scene. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the boobs rising? Really? That's well, our th- scene? This is so- where I should bring in Rebecca's comment. My comment was that the two women mentioning their boobs, it drew the f- viewer's focus to their breasts instead of their contributions as, as officers. That is a really great um, read of that scene, Rebecca. It does objectify these women, and we don't have any of that happening with the male officers on this crew at all. Um, um, the closest well, we get to I that is found, maybe... I found out that if he shaved his beard, it would go away. <laughs> well, I was going to say the only other focus on on male bodies is Data like touching Riker's beard and saying, "No, nah, right. it's not not right. smooth and, as his baby's and, and bottom." And Worf's gorge, his clean. And Worf's gorge, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not it's not a sexual focus, and it's not a focus that really objectifies. So, Rebecca, I think that's eyes. 
Yeah, which we talked about that. Yeah, uh, the fact that it was a birth, it was a birth defect. So how could they youthen back to? It's uh, yeah. It, it doesn't. D- don't think about it too much, Doctor Trek. Okay. It'll it'll. Uh, it, it was uh, um, not oh, didn't go well. Tim says Gates McFadden was unfortunately the most uh, wasted character out of all of the TNG movies. Um, she. <sighs> Let's let's hope that we get to see more from Doctor Crusher mm-hmm. in Star Trek: Picard, and that this character gets um, as beautiful a send off as um, as Deanna Troy and Jonathan Frakes did in, or Jonathan Frakes, uh, as William Riker did in um, Star Trek: Picard. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nimichek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time... Live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>